This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is brought to you by Insulin, makers of the Omnipod system, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. Hey, I am excited. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast, number 36, it is an interview with Ginger Vieira. Ginger is the content person at DiabetesDaily.com. Uh, she's a person who's been living with type 1 diabetes for a long time. If you listen to her math, it's been 15 years. If you listen to actual math, it's been 17 years. Um, what else? Uh, and Ginger did get a little confused about how long she had diabetes for a minute, but that's it. She's done a lot of great stuff. She's an author. She's... Um, She's a ton of stuff, but what she is today for you in episode 36 is she is a mom who just gave birth to a healthy baby girl, Lucy, about nine months ago, and Ginger is going to talk to us today about what it was like to be pregnant with type 1 and how she stayed healthy for herself and for Lucy. So let's get going. Okay. Hello. Oh my gosh, you're so much clearer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I fixed it. Yeah, you're clearer too, actually. No kidding. You'll break up again. I know it's going to happen. Go ahead. (laughs) So what are you using for a microphone? Um, Right now I'm just using my phone. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is. Like, I don't know if it's, I don't know. So, all right. Ready? (laughs) Yeah. Everyone listen. If if Ginger's voice disappears for a word, you fill it in with what your brain thinks she would say. (laughs) <laughs> It'll be like a Mad Libs podcast she episode. Common sense. <laughs> just whatever you think she was going to say, you just fill in with your own thoughts. That makes <laughs> sense, right? So we've had a little bit of a technical problem here for the first couple of minutes with Ginger, and we are trying again. Um, and I think pretty much where we left off is when I asked you about, you know, kind of the fear you felt in your 20s. You talked about not really thinking that you know, having children was for you, not just because of one reason, but, but for a lot of reasons. And if you'd go over them for me one more time, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, so what, what told is that you want to get your A1C under seven before getting pregnant. But if you really learn about the science, what a baby wants mom's blood sugar to be when they're growing in utero, it means our A1C really ought to be below six. And so that's like a really overwhelming thing. Like, oh, I need to blood sugars. I mean, you know, that means your blood sugar like rarely ever goes over 140 or 130. Yeah. And, it, and that's not, it's not, it's not like you weren't striving for that your entire life. And it's right. not really difficult yeah. to do. Yeah. No. Um, but it, so it's like an impossible to do. And it's like, Diabetes is a threat to baby, and baby is a threat to diabetes. And it just seems, I, I told myself, like, shouldn't be having, not safe. It's not rational. Right. And, but uh, at a certain point, I just suddenly realized that I could totally do it. I'd never gotten my A1C that low before. But I, for some reason, I just suddenly was like, I can do that. And D- part of it was watching so many other women do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was that, I really feel strongly about the fact that you never stop learning about type 1 diabetes if you keep yourself open to the idea of continuing to learn about it. Yeah. So what I knew at age 20 when I was powerlifting compared to what I know now is like so different about how I keep my blood sugars in a certain range. And so now, post-baby, nine months old, it's like effortless for me to keep, I wouldn't say effortless, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's like not an extreme amount of effort for my A1 at 6.0 because 
of everything I learned during pregnancy and prior to pregnancy, getting ready for pregnancy. Yeah. So the funny thing is, I guess, is that you started out with, with an amount of knowledge that left you feeling like being pregnant was just not a good idea. And then you gained enough knowledge moving forward to make you feel like you could do it. And then the, the, the time you spent being pregnant has, has moved your knowledge again to another level where now that you're not pregnant anymore, you're having an easier time managing your, your, your type one diabetes. Exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. And, and unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause some people, they'll manage it really tightly because the pressure of pregnancy helps you get your A1C where it needs to be. But then they're struggling afterwards. And I thought like, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but I really found that I learned life changing things about managing type one while I was. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, so I grew up my adolescence in like the eighties, I guess. And I re I can recall friends of my parents who were smokers who would get pregnant and then cold Turkey, not smoke for nine months. Right. And it's probably very, like a very similar idea. Like, you know, something yeah. you just think you can't do. And then all of a sudden the, um, you know, it, it gets ramped up to another level where you, I guess you really just want to come through. So, okay. So you, you found a way to control your diet, your, your blood sugars really well for nine months. And who popped out at the end? What was her, what, what happened? Her name is Lucy. Lucy. She popped out of nowhere. Yeah. Nice. That's excellent. And Lucy, I've seen a picture of Lucy and she looks like a very healthy baby. Like, very healthy baby. Very happy baby. That's excellent. So, um, what, what, um, what did you learn while you were pregnant about, about managing your blood sugars that, that you're using now? I mean, is there a couple of things yeah. that really stick out for you? Um, definitely. I mean, so I need to give a little credit to my diabetes coach, who is Jennifer Smith at integrateddiabetes.com, which is Gary Shiner's uh, organization. And they all have type 1 diabetes themselves. Yeah. They're all um, so she was always my, my resource. Um, but the main thing was, very first thing was changing my idea of what I consider a normal blood sugar. Okay. So prior to even thinking about being pregnant, if I saw a one on my meat, I wouldn't really necessarily have done anything about it. A one what? I'm sorry, 160? A 160. Okay. Right? Um, or if I saw like a 180, I'd be like, well, that's a little high, but I don't really need to do anything about it. It'll mm. probably come down a little bit. <laughs> hours. Right? It'll drift on its own. And and sometimes right. and sometimes during the you, you actually have to plan for that. But yeah. but you're right. you're saying now you were you were attacking these numbers instead. Right. Not yeah. only was I so I changed my idea of what is a normal blood sugar. And so instead of being like in the hundreds, great, it was like I want my blood sugar between seventy and one thirty for as much of the day as possible. Yeah. That was the first thing. But then the other thing is not making excuses and digging into and investigating every blood sugar that's out of that range. So when I see a 180, it's not that I'm just going to throw a bunch of insulin on it and hope that it comes down, doesn't bottom out, right? But I'm going to think about why was that 180 and what can I do next time I eat that meal or next time I'm in this situation to prevent it from being 180. And sometimes that means taking my insulin a little sooner before I eat an apple with peanut butter, um, What's your, what, what's your range? I, I, depending on what Arden's blood sugar is and you're wearing a glucose monitor. Yes. I had a CGM. Okay. So, so Arden wears one constantly. And, um, my goal for pre-bolusing is at least 15 minutes, but I would tell you that if her blood sugar was 150, I would, 
I'd shoot for, I mean, a half an hour if I could. Because by the time the insulin starts working and you can get a 150 to 100 and falling and yeah. the food starts, that's where I always talk about like the fight between insulin and, and the carbs. I want that fight to happen you know, at, at 70, at 80, at 90, at 100, right. and a dropping a dropping blood sugar, not at 150 and steady or, or even 90 and rising. Right. You, you know what I mean? Right. Yep. Yeah, and depending, of course, like if a child is old, you can't play that game quite as much, right? Because you don't know how much they're going to eat or yeah, that, they're going to eat. Right? That, well, that was a huge problem when Arden was little, you know, yeah. is that she, you, you – that you know, I, I can remember my nurse practitioner telling me like inject the insulin like a couple minutes before you eat, and I remember like being like, <laughs> "That's yeah. not happening. I'm not doing that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mean, that sounds totally normal based on a three-year-old, and now Arden's a teenager, so can you know? It, it's really... yeah, it's different. Plus, plus, I now have more years of knowledge of watching her eat, and I can kind of right. anticipate a little better what she's going to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, actually, want and so you found yourself doing that, and that was. Because that's a tip I give everybody too, but so that yeah. was that was that was one thing. You're getting your pre-boluses in. You're, well, so yeah, and not even just pre-bolusing the recommended twenty minutes, but like certain types of some. Um, so I'll give you an example. When if I was going to eat a bowl of cereal, which is a really rare thing that I would eat, right? Because it's such a pain in the butt to right. manage your blood sugar around. But a couple, there was a couple different days during pregnancy where I was like, I would just cereal. So I pre-bolused and I didn't eat. At least an hour right. after taking, because cereal is so broken down and such nutritionless carbs that it like gets right into your bloodstream so fast. Yeah. Then if I was gonna say eat a slice of gluten free pizza or gluten free cake, which again, right, you're not eating these things all the time, but right. I really being a rigid, strict psycho um, around nutrition, and so I knew strawberry cake that I make that I needed a little bit of insulin in the beginning, but that when I really needed my biggest dose of insulin for that cake was two hours after I ate. Mm-hmm. So it's really, you know, people get frustrated. Oh, the people's didn't work. And it's like every food can be a little different. Yeah. I found that like when I ate a grapefruit, a 30 or 15 minute pre-bolus didn't work because like the grapefruit would spike me up no matter what. But if I ate that grapefruit with some fat, and it slowed down the spike of the grapefruit, and then it was manageable. Then it was manageable. And yeah, I, uh, in the last couple of weeks, so Arden's, Arden's ankles have been bothering her lately, which is her telltale sign for growth. And as soon as I heard that coming, I was like, oh, geez, our blood sugars are going to be more difficult. But they have been really difficult the last couple of days. Uh-huh. And I find myself at lunchtime, like she's going to, she'll need a bolus in about an hour for lunch. And at school, 15 minutes is about as much as I can pre-bolus, um, right. you know, because she's literally in another room, nowhere near the food. And so, so we do this 15 minute pre-bolus and for the first 50 minutes after the bolus, her blood sugar will either come down and I'll get her right at like 75 diagonal down about 45 minutes after the pre-bolus and probably 20 minutes or so after she's eaten, which is perfect. And then I'll see it kind of trend back up. And it starts leveling off around 110, and it feels like this huge win. But like 30 minutes later, it just starts going up out of nowhere. Like it, I can't mm. stop it. And that's not normally what happens. But during right. this this period, she's really requiring a lot more insulin. Like last night, I got her pod was supposed to expire this morning. So it would have been 72 hours this morning around 10 a.m. 
But I had to end up changing it last night before bed because she got down to like a low reservoir warning, which never happens to her because Uh she, you know, because she weighs like 67 pounds. So, you know, so we used in less than three days, like almost 130 units, which is, Um, I'm sure to you doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, for Arden, it's, it's significant. Oh, that's, that's well. So, I mean, way more, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and, and that normally we don't get anywhere near that. And yeah. and so... You know, a funny thing, teenagers actually, generally, the more into her teens she gets, she'll use more insulin as a teenager than she will as a healthy adult. I'm starting so, to get that in- feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, so so that that's definitely one thing. So it sounds like to me that not only are you pre-bolusing, but you're now paying attention much closer to what the foods are that you're eating and how they're affecting you and how you can kind of mix and match how, them. Yeah. How yeah. digest what it comes down to. Right. And, and, and because of that, this is something you've carried into your post-pregnancy life. Yeah. I mean, that strawberry cake is my favorite dessert in the whole universe. Mm-hmm. I make it myself. It's free. And I, now I know when I make it like once every few months, how to bolus for it. I yeah. take a little bit and then I take a ton later on. Yeah. And, it, and, and you found, you found a rhythm to it because I think that what, what scares people away is that, that idea of like, you know, you know how people say sometimes like, Oh, you'll do the same thing over and over again. And then one time it just doesn't go the right way. Mm. Um, but I always feel like at some point you have to trust the process. Like you have to trust that the yeah. food, the food is going to do what it's going to do. And the insulin's going to do what you expect it to do. And that once in a while, something's going to go funny and you'll have to catch it one way or the other, either a high or a low. But you can't, yeah. you can't err so far on the side of caution that you're walking around with high blood sugars constantly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And also, something I learned during powerlifting that I think is really a huge part of understanding your blood sugars better mm-hmm. is that there really is a scientific reason behind every blood sugar fluctuation. Yeah. So even though it might seem like something happened for absolutely no reason, it's really that something happened because I haven't learned about that reason yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I keep going because I really agree with that. Yeah. And one, you know, just in your describing Arden at lunch and her hormones growth spurts, it's obvious that you already operate that way. Is This is not an out of issue something that we haven't learned about yet yeah there's just something else that's been added to the mix and i gotta step back for a second and figure out what it is yeah Yeah. or something that's always been in the mix that you've never had pinpoint and deal with before Mm -hmm. and so like pregnancy or not i feel like that is one of the most essential parts managing type 1 diabetes because people who get stuck in thinking that they already know everything and that like they they can only do so much are going to give up their A1C is always over eight because they already know everything and they're already doing everything they can. And diabetes is just impossible. Yeah. If that, that's the attitude you want to have, then you're going to struggle with your blood sugars the rest of your life. And it's heartbreaking to see, cause you do see it online a lot yes. where people are talking about, you know, like, just like you said, like, well, I've done everything I can do. And, right. and the fact of the matter is, is that if your blood sugar is at 200 and you can't get it down, you haven't done everything you can do. You've done everything you know how to do. And, and there's, a, there's a big difference in there. So there's a learning curve. You have to keep learning. Yeah, and the learning curve is endless. Yes. I mean, endless. 
and that's and that might sound tiring to somebody, but to me, I I try to view that as empowering because it means I can only get better at managing my diabetes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, perspective and attitude is huge in this. I mean, yeah. it just really is. If you if you're going to take the attitude like, well, this is the best we can do, then then you really are going to have trouble going forward. Yeah. A couple episodes back, I um, I spoke with a woman named Beth uh, Rieger, and it, we started talking about one thing, but a little bit of the conversation I switched over because I had spoken to her on the phone setting up the podcast interview, and I very kind of innocently heard her call to her son and say, you know, let's see if we can get it below 200 today. And right. I thought, oh my gosh, I, I, I want so badly to bring that up to her, but I don't know her. So I kind of found the, it just seemed like the right thing to do. So I brought it up to her and the rest of the conversation was really about her being more, you know, proactive. And I, I told her to be more bold with the insulin and like, you know, push more and like, you've got a glucose monitor, lean on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of thing. And I just got a text from her last night, randomly laying in bed, and she said her son's blood sugars have been so much better since we talked. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, and it's just in the end, it's it's you know to start with a very simplistic concept. If your blood sugar is really high, you're yeah. not using enough insulin. Right. Right. And and then and then the next step is figuring out where in the day you need more insulin, right. and it's not all probably not correcting all the highs. Yeah, you, yeah. You don't want to be chasing the highs around. I mean, also yeah. very underutilized things, um, different basal rates, um, right. and and even if, listen, even if between four o'clock in the afternoon and eight o'clock at night, your basal rate's always been great, but for some reason today your blood sugar's high then, and then you see this start mimicking tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with a temp basal plus thirty percent, you, you know, for for four yeah. hours even, just yeah. to just to cover whatever's going on in your body that probably yeah. is going to pass in a couple of days. Yeah. Well, and as kids, I mean, their insulin needs are going to continue to go up and up and up over the course of years, right? Until yeah. they kind of level out and then may go down, depending on how healthy they are during their adult life. And I mean, healthy like lifestyle, healthy. Right. Right. And so it's like. I feel like parents forget that they're going to need to increase the insulin doses and there's no calendar that they can check. Oh, it's April 18th. Time to go up. Like right. you have to look at numbers and don't adjust with it. Yeah. 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 I don't, yeah. I don't want to, I, I never want to suggest overreacting like to every little thing, but right. if something goes on longer for Arden, if something goes on longer than three days, it seems like it's shifting to me. Right. Yeah. You want to investigate with not impulsive react yeah right right i i will tell you like you know i said with the growing the last couple of days i think i i said to kelly kelly's like her blood sugar won't move and i i yelled across the room to her i was like i've given her enough insulin to like put a horse down you, you know <laughs> like like you know like it, it just she she's it's not moving and yeah. then all of a sudden last night i got this kind of indication after she went to bed and i thought this is it whatever the log jam has been it's about to break and sure enough, like by three o'clock in the morning, I had to give her a juice in her sleep because her blood sugar, like all of a sudden went down to like 55. Yeah. And, yeah. and it just, it was over. Like it was, yeah. it was like a wind blowing in my face for three days that somebody just flipped a switch and stopped immediately. And I was like, oh, all right, now we're going to go the yeah. other way, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but, and that ability during pregnancy, that ability to look at what's going on and act quickly is crucial because 
can't spend a whole week with stubborn blood sugars in the 200s. It's really not good for baby. Yeah, while well, there's a little baby cooking inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important to get over that fear of identify a pattern two days in a row. And, you know, if it was a child, I was managing, obviously, a little longer than maybe than two days in a row, depending on the situation. Right. But it's pregnancy, and it's, I know when my blood sugar is going low, I can stop it if I overdo it. Yeah. Well, you I know- don't want to wait. I was going to say, you know what? What's funny is that 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 fear and that 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 willingness to wait—it's born out of something you wouldn't expect. It, it's it's just going to sound crazy for a second, but it's insurance related because <laughs> because you're told you go to the endo every three months, and when you get to the endo, you say my blood sugar's been high, and they make some adjustment for you in your pump or give you something to mm-hmm. do, and then yeah. they leave, and then the most irresponsible thing in the world is they, they're like, okay, we'll come back in three months and we'll see how yeah. this worked. Yeah. And, and what if it didn't work? So oh you spent, God. so you spent three months with a high blood sugar. They made an adjustment that didn't fix anything. You're six months with your blood sugar high now. Yeah. And it seems okay because that's what the doctor said. Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like he told me, come back in three months and we'll see. The fact yeah. of the matter is, is you just, you wouldn't do that. Like I'm running out of different euphemisms for for this thought but you know you just wouldn't i said to somebody uh, you know you wouldn't go around a curve every day on your way to work and crash into a bush and not slow down the next day you you, you know like you wouldn't like you're like oh 50 i can do 50 here oh no i hit a bush the next day you come back you certainly don't go through it 50 again you go i'm gonna try 45 see what happens here well i think the problem is people are taught that doctors are the only ones that can make those changes yes you can totally make those changes. The whole reason I wrote my first book was like, you have to make those. Yeah, absolutely. You have to learn how to make yeah, And it's, you're not going to kill yourself by making a one unit increase in your long acting insulin if right. you're, or your basal rates, right? I don't use a pump now. so Right. Um, but, but I always recommend to people that you're using a pump and you're making changes in your basal rates to try to tackle blood sugars over 200 that are stubborn. You want to make changes that you see at least a unit increase total in your total basal insulin, right? Because some people might make a small increase in like a four-hour window, but the total increase was only like half a unit more of insulin. Right. You know? Yeah, it's um, it, it's sad because because just like just like you're saying, like it's a, it, it's a common sense thing that I'm willing to bet occurs to most people, and then the fear of going against the doctor stops them. Yeah, and there's just no way the doctor knows enough about your life, moments that cause those high blood sugars, helpful in that instant. Yeah. There's just no way. Yeah. They don't have time to even ask you. They're not going to remember all the details. I would bet if you could, if I could get an endocrinologist on here to speak, you know, anonymously, they would tell <laughs> you that every time they're doing something with your pump, it's a, it's a roll of the dice it's a complete crapshoot they don't know what they're doing and they're hoping for the best and occasionally you will find a really awesome endo or CPE who will say you know way more about your diabetes than I do I'm here to support you Mm -hmm. and but you're in charge because they know enough about diabetes to know how little they know that's a sign of a great that's how you know you've got a good one right yeah and how few people have good ones too is really you know is really the truth like so we talked about on the phone the other day when we were kind of talking about doing this, like you were in the hospital um, getting ready to have Lucy and you had to argue and fight about even covering your carbs. Oh yeah. It was crazy. Uh, they wanted to, after just to, um, 
before I start telling you how crazy it was, I wanted out of that hospital so fast, and I <laughs> barely sit up. And I was, they came in that morning, two days after school, and they're like, we'll think we'll have you stay another night. And I was like, no, I packed last <laughs> night at 1 a.m., and I'm ready to go. I'm good. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. So I kept, I couldn't, I was being induced um, because they just like to follow the protocol that you start inducing a type 1 woman at 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. And Lucy was not a small baby. Her head was humongous because she has my husband's head. Um, so, and I'm very small structured, structure bone-wise and everything. So it's like, there's no way this baby's coming out normal. We're doing a C-section. Mm-hmm. And um, so you can't eat when you're on induction medicine. So I was, I'm sneaking it through my Novolog pen that I had in my purse. Oh, you broke up there a little bit. So you, you can't, you, you're not allowed to eat while you're on the induction medicine and what? And so I had, they didn't know, they didn't even ask for it. I had my insulin in my purse while I was in the hospital for a week. Mm-hmm. And... My CGM had a perfectly straight line. I got permission to use it. You got to do all this paperwork ahead of time. And uh, it was great, right? It was straight line at 90 for like four days. Mm. And then still she wouldn't budge from the Pitocin. So they took me off the Pitocin drip and they said, you've got to eat something because we need you to have energy by the time you have to push if, you know, they hadn't decided C-section yet. And I said, sure, I'm going to order this. It was pork and sweet potatoes. I was trying to get all my macronutrients been a couple days since i'd really eaten right and um they said okay i said i would like six units of insulin for this and they said oh but your blood sugar is 90 we don't dose insulin until you're over 160 (laughs) and i said uh okay then i'm not gonna eat that (laughs) they couldn't understand we went back and forth back and forth i finally convinced them to give me two or three units of insulin Mm -hmm. And I knew I was going to go high, but I knew I was nowhere near giving birth. So it was going to be okay. I wasn't even having contractions yeah. really far away. And, um, but so sure enough, like 45 minutes later, my blood sugar is 200. And the nurse is crying saying she broke me and I was doing so great. And now I'm broken and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then I got, I took more insulin. And that was the only time I didn't lie to them and sneak insulin behind their back. Right. All the rest of the week, I was sneaking insulin. And or being a complete bitch. After that, I was at one point after born, I knew that my insulin needs were going to go up a little more each day after born. Yeah, sure. And they said, okay, we're going to give you nine units of insulin tonight. I said, no, I need 12. I want 12. Right. I could just, just knew. Yeah, well, the stress and, 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 and anxiety and like yeah, excitement well, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the moment the baby's insulin needs plummet. And I knew that now I'm getting to day two of baby being out of my body. My insulin needs are going to start going back up to normal really quickly. Okay. And I could just see it in my numbers. I could feel it. And um, and they said, no, only nine, only nine. We don't want you to bottom out. And I said, if you only give me nine units, I'm going to sneak more from the Lantus pen that I have in my purse. <laughs> so you better give me 12. <laughs> and their jaws dropped. They left the room to go talk to the doctor. And they came back and they said, we'll give you 12, but you need to give us that pen that you have in your purse. And I said, fine. And I gave them the pen. And then I packed my bags and left. And left. I got to go. You people are going to kill me. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I mean, literally, I was in the bathroom constantly. Take little bits more of insulin for the food that I was eating. and uh, Because I knew they wouldn't give it to me. And I knew it would be such a pain in the butt to try to convince them to give me insulin. 
It's just crazy. Well, it's, so this, your story is such a, it's such a high level overview of a, of a larger issue. Like, you know, with it being diabetes awareness month right now, like we always think someone's going to know about it, right? Like, Oh my, a nurse at a hospital must know. Yeah. And then your experience is no. And the doctor must know, but no. The other day, and I haven't really looked into it too much, but apparently the president said something ridiculous about diabetes. Oh. And and he made a joke about something that is just clearly not okay. And and like politics aside, whether you are, you know, an Obama supporter or not, it's not really the the, the case. The thought to me was when I saw it as you know, to achieve being a doctor or a nurse or the president of the United States, a, a person, a regular person walking the, the streets assumes, I guess, that, that that person has some level of, like, a greater understanding. You, you, you know, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you have expectations for those people. And yeah. when you hear that somebody who's been in the public eye for 20 years doesn't know enough not to make a, do- a donut bacon joke about diabetes uh, and yeah. and and your nurse who's charged with keeping you alive doesn't understand yeah. what insulin is or how it works or how it affects you know or, or or just forget that even if she understands the insulin but is willing to trade your short-term health for her comfort because that's kind of what it is right like yeah. we, we want to leave your blood sugar high because we don't want it to get too low. Yeah, and we- that really was the thing is that they, I mean, they, they've they been trained, right? There's protocol that they were following. Mm-hmm. They're following hospital protocol for managing type 1 diabetes in a hospital for an inpatient. Yeah. And and that was written by an endocrinologist. Right, but, but an endocrinologist who was more probably concerned with the hospital's liability than your health, which is yeah. an, an odd statement, but probably true. Yeah, yeah. And- and who, yeah, just doesn't really know much. <laughs> and uh, it's, so they were really the main things that they were terrified of me going low. Right. And I never had any lows while I was there. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what's, what's worse is if you don't really know, say you're a different person in there with diabetes having your, your baby. Right. That's what's really scary is what if it's somebody who really doesn't know, one, how to manage their blood sugars, but also how to advocate. Yeah. If you're afraid to be a bitch. Right. They're going to end up with blood sugars over 200. Their baby's going to be born with really low blood sugars. And and then they're going to be the statistic that women with diabetes have babies born with really low blood sugars. When the reality is that that's not what has to happen. That's right. what happens because a variety of people are not educated. And, and what about this? What about you send this person back out the door with kind of a lingering feeling in the back of their head that their blood sugar being 160 is not really a problem? Right. Oh, God. You know, and and I've done this before on the podcast, but if you, I don't have it in front of me now, but if you take an A1C chart and see, you know, what's your A1C when your average blood sugar is 160 and what is it when it's 80, that's a huge difference. You can't walk around going, I can't get my my A1C under nine. I don't understand, but be shooting for a 160 blood sugar. Like, right about that all the time um, at Diabetes Daily because people don't make that connection very easily. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's interesting, and because, and the other thing, you know, I always say too is like, what's the difference between your goal of your blood sugar being one eighty and your goal of your blood sugar being eighty? There, there's genuinely no difference between those two goals, other than your fear about getting low and how quickly it could yes. happen and how quickly you have a reaction to it. Yeah. And, you know, so if you're going to shoot for a number, shoot for a number that's lower, because yeah. you know. 
it's not like you're hitting your 180 number and then plummeting. You're hitting your 180 and sticking. So I right. bet you could hit 90 and stick there too, you know, if you yeah, try. That's a huge, um, for me, that was a huge benefit having a CGM is that oh, for sure. I could hang out at 75, feel safe. Yep. Because I could tell if I was dropping or if I was hanging. So oh. I loved up at 75. Yeah. I mean, I still love waking up at 75, but like before I had a CGM before I was pregnancy. I would see 75 on my meter and maybe assume that I was going to go low and then treat with a little bit. Oh, that reminds me. Can I tell you one more thing that made a big difference? Please, please. So a huge thing is that we're taught low blood sugars with 15 grams of carbs. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, and Gary Shiner has written some great stuff on this too, that most low blood sugars don't necessarily need that many carbs. And if you treat a blood sugar of 60 or even 55 or 50, full 15 grams of carbs, unless you're you know, still exercising, chances are you're going to go up to 160, 170. Yeah. yeah. And so, and like you mentioned, that's not going to equate to an A1C under seven if you're constantly up at 160, 170. Yeah. So, no, yeah, Arden's, yeah, Arden's blood sugar was like 85 at school the other day. And I said to her, I sent her a text that said, eat three Skittles. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> Not five. Don't have five Skittles. <laughs> yep, no. <laughs> like, and, yeah, and, I used jelly beans, and yeah. it was like jelly beans. And so it was all I would need. Well, and to so your like, to your point about the glucose monitor too. About I mean, Arden is using the Dexcom. She's using the G five now. But but without that, I I do have a memory of raising a, a small child with diabetes without a glucose monitor. Right. A seventy five without knowing where it's headed is frightening yeah. and a 75 that is showing to be steady. And I know that something's going to beep and tell me when it's falling. I'd be happy to let Arden sit on the sofa for five hours and watch nine movies in a row. Right now it's Netflix with her. Right. You know, she, you know, I'd, yeah. I, I think it's glee on Netflix. I'm pretty sure that's what I'm seeing happen. And, but <laughs> I'd be happy to let her sit in there all day with her blood sugar at 75. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You know. And so for anybody who's thinking, whose child is like four or five years old and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, they have to hang out at 80. What their life with type 1 diabetes like now is going to be so different by the time they're 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30. Yes. So. And while I don't buy into, and I don't know if they still say this, but when Arden, when Arden was diagnosed at 2, and you used to get this thing, and I could never tell if it was medical advice from the doctor or if it was anti-throw-yourself-out-a-window advice but but they would say oh don't worry high blood sugars at this age are proven to not have any long-term effects on their health mm. and i don't believe that at all no and that's been disproved they've totally i mean that's why they lowered the a1c goal for right. teenagers it used to be under eight and now it's under seven because they're realizing it does matter it I don't know that they ever didn't realize I'm making air quotes with oh, my fingers okay. now. I, I think that I think, th and I do understand this, by the way, as a person who stood in a hospital with a blank look on his face, with his wife with a blank look on their face, with a two-year-old who weighed 19 pounds leaving the hospital, you know, I do wonder how much of that advice you get in the beginning isn't meant to just keep you from driving off an overpass on your way home. Yeah, and it, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, and and, and I think a little kid is safer in the immediate moment at 200 than they are at 50. Right. right. And and I can speak about that from personal experience because I am a person who twice gave my toddler too much insulin and induced a seizure in her. Oh. So it's it while it's just an academic conversation for most people who haven't seen it. 
I do know what it is and it'll stick with me for the rest of my life. It, it, it's not good. And, and, and at the same time, had it happened at the wrong time at four o'clock in the morning, like, I don't know if I ever would have heard it. Like, you know, it just, we got lucky with the time. It was in the afternoon once and it was in the evening while we were awake one time. And so I get the idea of, I don't want my kid's blood sugar to go that low. I really do. And, And I'll tell you what too. Having the right insulin has a lot to do with your lows, too. There are different fast-acting insulins on the market, and even though they're very similar, they react differently in different people. Yes. And, and, and Arden, and Arden uses Apedra now, which worked a lot better for her than Novolog did. Not to say that Novolog doesn't work well for a lot of people. It just didn't work great for Arden. And yeah. so, you know... You, you got to keep your eyes open and pay attention to the landscape of the medications and, and, and not be afraid to try. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a lot of fun telling the endo, I need you to give me a sample of a different insulin. Cause they're like, why, you know, they get all upset. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's impossible. Cause yeah. they don't, they want to be the one to tell you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, yeah, it, long acting insulin. Um, your parents whose kid is on Lantus, Lantus does hold that it doesn't peak. But if you are sensitive to insulin, which any child and any um, lean adult would be, it does peak. peaks after like six hours. And I was going low every night at 4 a.m. Because of and, when you gave yourself your Landis injection. Right. I used to and split Arden's slow-acting insulin into two injections every 12 right. hours. So when I tried that, it didn't work for me. I that didn't work. Up high. But what, so now I'm on 2JO, and there's literally no peak JO. Mm-hmm. So I go to bed at 90 and wake up at 90. Whereas on Lantus, I, if I was 90 before bed, I had have to eat 10 grams of carbs in order to wake up below 120, but not below 50. But again, that's another thing that it just wouldn't occur to most people. Like, you know, the doctor gave me this insulin. This is insulin. Yeah. This, this is, is the dose they said to take. This so, must be right. 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 So that we have is a concrete truth. And, and the fact of the matter is that it may or may not end up being a concrete truth for you. So, when you're sitting around trying to imagine why your blood sugar is doing what it's doing, the fact that there are a countless number of outside influences trying to affect that number, I get how it can be overwhelming. Yeah. But yeah. but at the same time, if you sort of don't give over to the drama of the moment, I guess. Yeah. Just decide that you're capable of about it and learn at whatever pace you have to learn. Yeah. Breath. No, I think that's I think that's really the key. I hear the ad music. Okay. Hey, you know what? November is Diabetes Awareness Month, and there are a lot of pretty compelling reasons to choose Omnipod for your insulin needs, starting with the freedom you'll experience. Then there's the convenience and the control. Omnipod gives you or your child the freedom to do what you want, when you want. Sleep in, exercise, and just live life on your own terms, because you do not want to be tethered to your insulin pump or your schedule. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself. So get a free demo kit, which includes a sample non-functioning pod by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo. And you can see what you think. There's absolutely no obligation. And if you go to juiceboxpodcast.com, if you're listening there, there's a link right in the notes that'll take you right to to the demo pod. You can give it a try. And there's an alarm. Sorry about that. That was for a blood sugar. You know what? Uh, November is Diabetes Awareness Month. And this week on Arden's Day, I wrote a little blog piece about advocacy and, you know, tolerance. I, I, sometimes in the community, you see people with type 1 and type 2. And, 
even though you would think that everybody would support each other, sometimes there's some bickering about which is worse. And and let me just tell you this, you know, in my own words, uh, the disease that's worse is the one you have, and we should be supporting each other uh, no matter what. So whether you're a type one or a type two, try to do some advocacy this month, you know? Tell a friend about what it's like to have diabetes. Uh, post a picture online, do that JDRF uh, T1D looks like me campaign. That's really cool. Go to JDF, uh, JDRF.org to see that, or I have it on Arden State too. Just get out there, man. Let people see you. Um, let me see. I gotta ask you a question. Um, this is coming from me, like like from my own personal feelings, and I, I hope I don't make you feel badly when I ask you. But how much, how much discussion between you and your husband? centered before you had Lucy was centered around what if Lucy gets diabetes one day? Oh, um, I don't think my husband thinks about it nearly as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, part of your book that stayed with me forever, I, I can still see the words on the page and I can remember where I was sitting when I read it was what you described the contents of Arden's diaper looking like when she had developed type one. Yeah. And got, I just like partly it's like oh gosh, but partly I'm just I'm grateful that Scott shared that detail mm-hmm. because I want to I'm gonna think that Lucy has type one diabetes if she just like acts a little funny <laughs> and I've already tried to like rub a grip in her diaper I've already done that at least twice in right. the past nine months when she was acting really tired or grouchy and um doesn't lose weight she's a chunky baby so she obviously doesn't have type 1 diabetes but it's always the first thing that comes to my mind but i always somewhere in the back of my head i think back and i say but her diaper looks normal and i know like i'm not gonna like sue you if she ends up having type 1 diabetes (laughs) and her diaper looks normal but it'll be um like that's a pretty major symptom and a result of ptosis uh if a young child had type 1 diabetes yeah and so for people who don't know and by the book sales, I'm assuming there's a lot of you who don't know, but I wrote a book uh, called Life is Short, Laundry is Eternal, and there's um, a number of passages in it and, and chapters that deal with Arden's diagnosis and, and type 1 diabetes kind of coming into our lives. It's a parenting book, but the diabetes is, uh, you know, it, it belongs there. And I'm, I described that prior, a few days prior to learning that Arden had type 1, she was clearly sick and things were getting weird. And at one point, she passed her last bowel movement before she was diagnosed. And you could, it was so dry, you could crush it, like, crush it, like, like dirt balls. Like, it was really odd. And, and she was so dehydrated. But at the same time, drinking so much liquid that that didn't make sense in my mind. Like, right. how could she be dehydrated when she's taking in so much liquid? Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, it just, it really is. God, now I'm thinking about it. It was a terrible time, yeah. but, um, well, but- and also, um, another thing I thought of to answer your question, I mean, obviously, so there's the stats sort of, but all the stats around type one diabetes and whether or not you're going to pass it on to your children mm-hmm. is relatively low. Like my risk of having a type one diabetic child is like 2% higher than Scott Benner's risk having a type 1 diabetic child. Right. Yeah. Then just the general public. Yeah. yeah. And we did not do any of that um, excessive testing when they're in utero or to compare our genes and see what the risk might be because 
what, like, what's that number going to do for me? It's either going to drive me nuts or drive me nuts. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because so, they're, you know, if you had done my genetics, I know Bill Woods makes some video blogs at One Happy Diabetic. He had his genetics tested to see what his risk of developing type 1 is, and he has type 1. Mm-hmm. And the test said that he had a 1% risk of developing type 1 diabetes. And so 1%. all that makes you feel like is the unluckiest lottery winner in the world. Yeah, and yeah. also that the number means nothing. Right, right. So like, if Lucy gets type 1 diabetes, Lucy's going to live a rockin' life diabetes and yeah. that will be like the one conversation my husband and i had about it was very brief i said well what if lucy gets on diabetes and my husband said well you have diabetes and i'm glad that you're here yeah that's beautiful and that was it yeah that was it yeah and that's a great way to think about it it really is i i i mean i would have to tell you that i don't know that we were ever my wife and i don't really plan anything yeah. Um, you know, I'm in my 40s and I can count on one hand the things I've planned. Like, we're definitely the kind of people who are like, hey, two weeks from now, should we go on vacation? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, like, then like 16 days later, you're on a plane and you're like, wow, we pulled that together quickly. Uh, you, you know, so we don't we're not real big planners. And um, we did plan for Arden to be born. That was one of the things we planned. We didn't even really plan to get married. Trust me. Like I asked her and like 10 days later, I think we were married. And, and so we're, we're not planners. And so I can't say that for sure we were thinking of having a third child. But I can say for sure that I think that when diabetes came, we stopped musing about it out loud as much. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, and that, that type of diabetes is a child. Like well, diabetes itself requires the attention of almost an additional kid. Yeah, Ginger, I, I mean, there's not that it's any great, you know, surprise to anyone, but I'm pretty much tired constantly, yeah. you, you know, and, um, you know, it shouldn't, you shouldn't, you probably shouldn't live a life where at 2.30 when you're shutting your eyes, you're thinking like, wow, this is pretty early, not bad. You, you, you know, like, like, you know, 2.30 in the morning going to sleep, this is great. Or, yeah. you know, or when, you know, it just, it's, there's a lot more going on. Yeah. It's 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 like it's like raising um, an infant constantly, and not not right. be, because of all the things that you're in charge of. Yeah, you, you know, you, and before I was pregnant or before I had Lucy, I often wondered having a newborn was going to be a lot like having type one diabetes, and I could never say it out loud to anybody with a newborn because I didn't want to, because yeah. they didn't have diabetes, right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Like adult their life with their newborn, but I totally think it is. <laughs> so. it, it just it's it's tough it really is because there's i remember with my with our first kid with cole you know that first six months where he didn't sleep really well excuse me and then i get to this point you get to this point where you're just like a zombie like you know i, I actually wrote about that in my book the time he rolled out of bed and i unconsciously reached over the side of the bed and caught him yeah. and you know like and so i was so tired i was you were just zombie like but yeah but try to imagine like that not stopping because I remember when he started sleeping through the night, how grateful I was. <laughs> like, yeah. like I wanted to go thank the universe that it was happening, yeah. you, you, you know. Yeah. And and now, when you get to that point, now you just look to your spouse and you go, like, tonight's got to be on you. I can't do it. Like, you, yeah. you know, like I have to go to sleep and sleep through the night. But there are so many people who are in single family, you know, single parent relationships, right. and and yeah. who do you pass that off to in that moment? And it's just. It's difficult. You, you, you yeah. know, it, it really is. Um, or maybe the coping method is that the kids' blood sugars are high constantly. You know, and, it's like, 
I've done that once or twice and that breaks my heart in a different way. So right. then you, then you're talking about a rock and a hard place. Now you're between saying to yourself last night, I sat up for a while to make sure she was okay. And I'm pretty sure I started having heart palpitations and I thought I was going to have a, a heart attack. I'm like that. I'm that tired. But yeah. the next day I put her blood sugar at 150 for overnight so I could sleep. And I mm. woke up and my first conscious thought was I have to go get her blood sugar down and, and guilt uh, and like yeah. terrible guilt, you know? So it's, yeah. and at the same time, Ginger, if I don't stay alive for a really good long time, that's of no value to her either. I can't, right. I can't kill myself in the first decade of her diabetes. That's not going to be okay. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, so it's just, there's a lot of, a lot of circumstances that really, they push and pull at you. And I, I genuinely hope that they never occur and, uh, you know, happen in your life. I hope Lucy stays kind of cherub like and, uh, delightful. <laughs> she really is. Um, and, and, and that, that's pretty cool. So, okay. So you've done that. You, let me think about the pregnancy thing. Did you, am I allowed to ask if you breastfed? I did. Uh, for you cut out, you did for, I did for three months. Okay. And, and, and again, your blood sugars were good, so you didn't really like. If your blood sugars were high, would that come through in the breast milk? So some women have been taught to pump and dump if their blood sugars are high. Mm -hmm. um, but my amazing CDE Jenny Smith told me and explained that very little of the glucose in your bloodstream gets into your milk. Okay. So milk milk is sweet anyway. Mm -hmm. Breast milk is very sweet naturally. So it would be really silly to pump and dump just because of a high blood sugar when breastfeeding is already such a strenuous, it's already really stressful just to produce the milk that needs to eat, let alone start throwing it away when she needs it. Okay. Right. Um, so that, that issue. Cool. The hard part about breastfeeding in type one is that breastfeeding is so not regimented. So it does cause your blood sugar to drop, but ever had a a newborn baby, they don't, it's not like they eat every day at three o'clock and six o'clock and nine o'clock for a certain amount of time. It's right. like they're hungry when they're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's real. I found it very hard to predict flows. Um, and that was definitely, I also just didn't really like being so hungry, but I stopped breastfeeding not because of my diabetes, but because I was having a fibromyalgia pain flare up that wouldn't go away and I couldn't figure out what was causing the flare up. And so one of my eventual theories was 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 maybe maybe it's the work on my body of producing. I totally I actually did lose you pretty big there, but oh. your, I'm sorry. Your eventual theories were was that maybe breastfeeding and the work on my body of producing breast milk maybe is um, was adding to that pain. Fibro. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but that turned out not to. Be, but I did stop breastfeeding, and I was much happier. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's cool. And she's doing great now. And how old is she now? Nine months. Nine months old. Wow, she's almost a year old. That's really cool. And you are in the beginning of writing a book about about. Yes. Uh, we've been we're like a little past the beginning, but we haven't gotten past where we're at because we've both been busy raising our kids and working. Right. Um, Jenny Smith and I are writing a guide to pregnancy with type one diabetes. Um, that really. There are books, there are a couple books out now on pregnancy and diabetes, but they don't really give you the day-to-day -day trying to understand what your insulin needs are going to be and how to kind of get a 
approximation of when you're going to need to increase because you're increasing your insulin doses constantly during pregnancy. Okay. And there's like sort of a window, but it's not perfect prediction, right? I can't tell you that at six weeks you're going to need this. It sure. could be seven weeks for you. And um, so what, what the books that do exist have great, I really recommend getting Cheryl Alcon's book, just reading all the different women's stories. Um, okay talk about their pregnancies, especially if you have a little girl or a teenager with type one, get that book by Cheryl Alcon. It's on Amazon. And because it just, there's so many women in there and it just reminds you like so many women have done this totally doable. Yeah. My daughter can do it. And yeah. Yeah. And, and Jenny is Jenny. Does she work with Gary? Jenny works for Gary. Yeah. She works for Gary. Okay. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get you to ask Jenny if she wants to come on and talk about this. You oh yeah, she- I'm sure she'd love to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That would be cool. I'm making myself a note. And as you know, I don't plan anything. So me even making a note was a yeah. big indication that I was excited about something. <laughs> <laughs> She's brilliant and she's a and she has type one, so it makes her even more brilliant as yeah. a CD. That's really cool. Well, listen, so first of all, congratulations. Good for you. Like you, you made a baby and that in itself is amazing. Um <laughs> And, and she's, like you said, super healthy, and so are you, and you found a way to get through this with, with not just, I, I don't want to say without too much trouble, but you came out the other side of it with enough knowledge to affect your life going forward in a really positive way. Really? And, and that's, yeah. uh, they say parenting teaches you something, but I don't, you might be the <laughs> first person to ever say that it teaches you how to take better care of your health, so... <laughs> So that that is really un, I I didn't expect you to say that. That was that was really cool. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I'm sorry we had a couple of technical glitches, but uh, but just because we talked about it in the beginning when when I think you were kind of like kicking in and out. What do you um, you work for Diabetes Daily, right? DiabetesDaily.com. Yes, I'm and, the editor at Diabetes Daily, and I write stuff there every day. It's not always about type one. Sometimes it's for type two readers. Mm-hmm. And it's a it is a very popular and great site. You should all check that out. Um, sometimes uh, Ginger will aggregate some of the content from my blog from Arden's Day and put yeah. it back on Diabetes Daily. And like, there's great information there. So that that's really cool. And you write books, so we can find your books on Amazon by searching your name, right? Yes. Yeah, and I'll put a link in the show notes to like to like an Amazon search for your books and stuff like that. So people can find that if they want. Um, what else you got going on? Anything else? Is that it? I don't know. I think that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were great. And you live in Vermont, which is cool. <laughs> and so how is, can I ask you a question sure. before, before we go away? So I visited Vermont for the first time um, at the end of the summer for like a, a getaway vacation. Yeah. And I rented a house on a mountain. And my wife and Arden and Kelly got to the house the day before Cole and I did because Cole was playing baseball, so we couldn't leave right away. And she must get in at like 8 o'clock at night, and I get this text message from Arden. Mom says there's no thermostat. And then there's like a wait. I'm like, what's that? And she goes, Mom says there's no air conditioning. And... (laughs) And I was like, but I rented a house, like a vacation house that people used to go on vacation. Like the owner of this house rents this house out for other people to be comfortable and happy in. 
it must have air conditioning. <laughs> and so now I'm in a panic, as you can understand, that I've sent my daughter and my wife, who appears agitated that there's no air conditioning. And <laughs> and um, and I'm online now looking at the house, and sure enough, it doesn't have air conditioning. And then I do a search for vacation houses in the whole area, and I start clicking on them, and none of them do. Why do people in Vermont hate air conditioning is my question. I mean, they don't hate air conditioning, but Vermonters are hardcore. So... Like, I mean, we have an air conditioner that we put in our window during the summer for like one month right. summer, right? But Vermonters just, I don't know, go for the same reason that we don't care when it's 10 below winter. <laughs> it we was deal with it. such an amazingly chill and pleasant place. Like, like <laughs> I really had a good time. Like, I really did. Like, and, and as easily, and, and the, the one thing that really struck me was the town we were in was so, I don't know how to put it, like quaint. Like it almost felt like it was the 50s on television. What town were you in? Were you in Stowe? Um, no, and I can't remember. I was about seven miles from Springfield. I was pretty far south, I think, in Vermont. Oh, okay. And okay. so we would drive. You know, we were in Vermont, so we went to, um, I guess Stowe was the mountain, right? We went to like we went to there to like sightsee and go up the mountain and go see Ben and Jerry's and that kind of stuff one day. Yep. And yep. as... As we drove from town to town, I kept having this expectation that when we went from one town to the next, I would see something modernized, but it never did. It never did. Every town, I was just like, this is so quaint. Like, look how nice this is. We had pizza for lunch in a pizza place that I kid you not, as I reached for the door, I had just as much expectation in my heart that I was going to open it and have pizza that I was going to pull on it and realize that it had been shuttered for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I went in and I was like, oh, it's a great place. Like old wood floors and tables yep. and like people in there having lunch and everything. And it just yeah. was a really good vibe. Like it really was. So. There you yeah. Types are true. <laughs> yeah. I really would. I would love to go back sometime. Although, I mean, air conditioning, really, it's not that big of a leap. It just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would like some air conditioning. Yeah. All right. Well, give Lucy a hug for all of us. And um, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Have a great day. All right, Ginger. I'm going to say goodbye. But hold on one second. I want to talk to you for a second. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been episode 36 of the Juice Box Podcast. Please, if you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. That is how it will grow. Uh, thank you to Ginger. Ginger has written a lot of books about type 1 diabetes. They are all on Amazon.com, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you to find her. Uh, don't forget, too, she's the content person at Diabetes Daily, which is another great website, DiabetesDaily.com. I would like to thank Omnipod for sponsoring this episode. Um, when they buy ads on the podcast, it helps me keep the podcast going. So thank you, Omnipod. We really appreciate it. When you support Omnipod, you're supporting the Juice Box podcast. And I think we should call it a day. What do you think? All right, let's do it. Goodbye.